Ken, appreciate you being here, my friend. Hey, thank you for having me. I want to begin by talking a bit about your upbringing, your life, your career. It's a fascinating story. Uh, to the extent you can convey it in a nutshell, which is hard, <laughs> have at it. Yeah, uh, I was born in Georgia. Um, you know, I was born into a, uh, not a very, not a very good structure for a, a young kid. Um, I was had two older brothers. We were a year apart. Um, so by the time I was five, six, and seven, eight years old, uh, we hardly had any food. Um, we were left home all the time by ourselves because my biological mother had to find ways to make money. And so we were left with not the best of crowd. <laughs> so early on, a lot of the bad things happened. Um, as us, as myself and my two older brothers, we found a way to survive. Um, ended up, uh, my biological met somebody who was getting out of the military. Um, we jumped in a, a, I believe it was a 1969 Camaro. Um, we drove from uh, Georgia to Napa, California, which is about 3,600 miles in the backseat of this Camaro, uh, which was pretty cool. We'd never been out of Georgia before. Our lifestyle was obviously, as you know, we were pretty much on the street most of the time, hardly any food, no toys, no bed. We slept on the floor. Um, a lot of bad things happened to us. Now, all of a sudden, we're traveling from this area that we're used to, to Napa, California, which is more middle class. Um, things just didn't work out well because we were kind of all the way till we were about eight, seven, eight years old, which is a time where we kind of moved. I was seven or eight. We get to this whole nother world. Um, and I talk differently, walk differently. Um, obviously kids being young, um, they're always going to find the kids that are different. Uh, and you know, they're going to make sure that you know that, uh, just because kids are kids, right. what my background and where I came from, um, was a lot more violent than what this middle-class was used to. So, you know, I beat up kids pretty severely, kicked them in the head when they're on the ground, stabbed, got stabbed. Um, all at the age of 9, 10, and 11 years old. I ended up in a group home, uh, got taken out of the home because of running away, getting stabbed, robbing from stores, um, strong arm robbery, um, a lot of bad things. Um, and this is all from the time that I was 7, 8 in Napa till I was about 10. Um, and they took, so they took me out of the home um, and made me a ward of the court, which meant the probation officers. Um, and the judge then became my parent. Uh, they had a say in where I was going to go. So I ended up in group homes. Uh, I went into group homes from the time I was 10 till I was 13. Uh, a lot of different ones failed all of them. Um, all because I was angry, frustrated. I didn't trust anybody, hated the world. Um, so, um, I failed them all, ended up at a place called the Shamrock Boys Home, which was at the age of 13. And that's where I really started to find some trust, but it took a long time. It was about a year, a year and a half before I could truly trust my, who was then became my father, could truly trust someone that they cared for me. It wasn't, they had a, a motive where they wanted something. They'd be nice to me that you knew that they wanted something. And so this was the first time that I had actually came across someone who I felt like I could trust them and that it wasn't, there wasn't some selfish motive. 
um, because I watched him do it with other kids and help other kids. And so there was a trust built there. And that really helped me become who I am today because, because I trusted him. He, he led me in a direction to where he put me into sports because I was very angry. And every time somebody would come up to me and confront me with something, I would just hit them because I didn't know how to talk. And so uh, instead of having a verbal communication with somebody, when you argued like a normal person, I would just hit them because I didn't know how to have a communication. So because of that frustration, because of that anger, he felt like putting me in football and wrestling would help me vent that, that anger and that frustration into something positive, which would give me some, some confidence in myself so that I would be able to communicate because I felt important or relevant. And which it did, because then all of a sudden I became um, relevant in this little town where I was a sports star. And so that's really how it all kind of began and kind of how everything went from the time that I was in high school. Obviously, um, after I got out of high school and started down the road of my my adulthood, I think that's been pretty much written down in books and everything else. So I think most people kind of know what had transpired up to that point. But in high school, I met my first adversity, my senior year, where everything was going well. I mean, I did everything right. You know, um, I, I, you know, I felt like, you know, the world was going the way it was supposed to go. And, and as a kid, you think that, that now everything's going to be great. But I broke my neck my senior year wrestling in high school. Not nobody's fault. Nothing like, just happened. Taken from me. I lost my scholarships, you know, all of a sudden. Uh, people didn't look at me the same. And this is just normal life stuff. It's like, it's crazy when something happens to you, you think it's unfair, but it's life, right? And you can either lay down or get up and do something about it. And so when I broke my neck, my father said to me, you know, because I was very depressed, he said, you think you've come this far? Like you did all of this just for you to fail now? It's, it's not going to happen. And so I remember thinking to myself, you know what? It is on me. It's about what I do from here. So I buckled down. I went in, I started training. I mean, they told me I wouldn't be able to do certain things, but I had to know that. They couldn't tell me I couldn't do it until I knew I couldn't do it. So I went down the direction of playing college ball, even though it was against everything anybody ever told me uh, because of a broken neck. But obviously that sent me down a path of going, well, looks like I can play college ball. Well, looks like I can wrestle. Well, it looks like I can fight. So all of these things were really just in my mind was like, I had to find out for myself what my limitations were with what had happened to me and not be told by somebody else that these were my limitations. And you mentioned your inclusion in the child welfare system. You've spoken about that a lot. You obviously know that system very well. In your view, how effective is it in taking kids uh, that need help and giving them that help? Well, I... Again, I mean, the system is is flawed, obviously. I think, you know, when you see prisons are being built every day, um, group homes are being, you know, crowded, hard to get kids in anywhere. I mean, it's, it's, it's because what we're doing isn't working. And there are good people out there. There are good group homeowners out there, but they're far and in view because people just look to make money. And they think it's an easy job just to be able to house the kids stuff them in a room, tell them to behave for a year or six months, we'll send you back home. The problem that they, I mean, the reason why I succeeded was because my father, Bob Shamrock, who adopted me, didn't send me back home. Because if I would have got sent back home, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Because 
when you go back to the same environment, you're going back to the same parents, you go back to the same house, you go back to the same friends, and you're going back to the same troubles that you were involved with before you got sent away. So now as a young kid, 15, 16 years old, 14 years old, however old you are, are now being told that you now have to be a responsible adult, even though you're not, because now we're going to send you back into the same environment and we want you to figure it out. We want you to say no to everybody. It's like, it doesn't work like that. Kids are kids. And the reason why they were in trouble is because they had a weakness of not saying no. And now you're regurgitating it and sending them back there and expecting a different result. That to me is insanity. And so that's the problem is that when we send them to these homes is that we think in one year or six months, uh, we're going to fix them and we'll be able to send them back home and they'll have a happy, merry life after that. And that's just not the case. Is introduction to sports critical? In other words, you, as you mentioned, you got to take that rage, right? Or even the free time, right? Even some kids aren't angry on the inside, I suppose, and directed somewhere. Why is sports such a good outlet, such a common outlet? Well, I think it's sports. I think it's acting. I think it's singing. I think there's art. Um, everybody expresses their anger different ways. And um, I think it's just being able to find that niche for whoever it is, because I've seen kids that drew uh, these these pretty crazy pictures with heads being cut off and bodies being torn apart or the satanic cult stuff because it was their way of, uh, because they weren't aggressive and they weren't physical. They were more introvert. And so they uh, they just did all this drawing to express themselves through their anger. And then have people come to them and say, you stop drawing that or put them on some insulin or Ritalin or whatever it is they put them on because they think that there's something wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with them. This is their venting. And so allowing them to be able to do that and then molding it into something constructive. Um, so like, you know, sending them out to college to be an architect because they draw so well, allowing them to vent with what they want to and then have them draw other things uh, aside from that. And that's kind of what they did at the house with the kids that were more introvert. They would allow them to do certain things that when they were expressing their anger, as long as it was within the house, but then they had to do something constructive on the back end of it. So it really was a give and take kind of thing. And so for me, it was like I said, it was more out of it was sports. It was a big, big part of me being able to, to achieve what I achieved uh, today because not being able to have that anger go somewhere, um, it, it, it was always exploding in the wrong places. You know, um, somebody come up to me and I was angry and I just hit them. And I, next thing you know, I'm in juvenile hall for, you know, assault. So being able to know that I had a place that I could go, whether it was in the weight room, whether it was in the, the, the boxing um, bag, you know, being able to hit the bag, uh, wrestling room, football, just somewhere where I knew I could release it and not get in trouble um, was a huge, huge part of my success. Now, how important was your exposure to once you became well-regarded in the combat sports fields, professional wrestling. I know you went to Japan, all over the country, all over the world. How important was that as a building block? Taking what you had before, which was an upgrade from your childhood, and now exposing you even further beyond that. It's tricky because as you get more exposure, um, there's more ways for you to screw up. Because there's more people attacking you now. 
Like there's more ways you're being attacked. And, you know, whether it's being in a nightclub, you know, and obviously I just stopped going to them uh, when I was 20, 29, 30, about 34 years old. I said, you know, I'm done going to clubs because it, it, it I've gone a few times and got in trouble. And it's just natural for you to go there because you're now you're exposing yourself to more trouble and different trouble. People coming at you from all kinds of different ways uh, for you to get in trouble, like punching someone, getting into a fight over something. It's just all right there. People just being jealous of who you are, uh, wanting to test you, all these things. And so the, there's, the, it's just a different, different thing when you start to move up and you start to create uh, exposure. You're, you're, you have to make sure that you or people around you help you understand what you're getting into. Because, man, I'll tell you, as we see today with the social media and everything going on and all the celebrities out there, they're human beings and we only get to see the bad side of it. We don't get to see every single day life that they are as they are as a human being. We only get to see what the media want to expose. I and mean, most of the time, not all the time, most of the time that they want to expose are things that they've done wrong because they get more hits or they get more views um, as opposed to somebody doing something good. It doesn't get as many views and it doesn't get as much attention. So they're looking for the things that are being done bad because they know that it'll explode on the Internet and get all the, these views and hits. So with, as a guy, a person who has a lot of exposure in this day and, and age, you have to understand that. You have to really pay attention to that because they ain't looking for you to be a good Samaritan. They're looking for you to mess up. And for a guy like you who came around prior to the social media age how difficult has this transition been i mean your popularity as big as it was and as big as it is would have been tenfold and now you have to adjust kind of to this whole new world yeah it is but fortunately you get to um you get to go into it slowly um i think was it 2000 probably around 2004 uh, i think was when it really became a thing um it, it, it started to really now where you could really start getting these millions and millions of hits of being right. able to catch somebody doing something. And it became this thing. Um, fortunately for me, I was at the end of my career and I was, I didn't have, I mean, I had the exposure, but not like a Conor McGregor or, you know, right. John Jones or some of these other guys. I mean, like if you literally would be able to know their normal lives and the kind of people that they were, um, as they were fighting, um, you would then look at the things they've done a little bit differently. But because you only see the things that went wrong, because of that's what you know social media wants to show, right. um, it, you, you get this idea of them, and it could be completely wrong. You you don't know who these guys are, only what they've done when they're excited, or maybe they're mad, or uh, they got broke up with their girlfriend or their wife, or there's trouble. At home these different things that happen. And then all of a sudden you have an opinion of this person because of what has been shown. And to me, I think social media is one of those things where it's a great, great opportunity for a lot of people, but at the same time, it can ruin your life on one exposure. Do you sometimes look at a John Jones or a Conor McGregor and say, wow, if Ken Shamrock had been young and a bit more foolish would have been a whole lot of problems. Well, I mean, I made my mistakes, no question. And and just like just like John Jones and just like Conor McGregor, 
that could have been me uh, if there had been that much exposure because I was volatile. Um, you get guys like that, like John Jones. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying these names, but there's many other ones out there sure. where we have this, this character that really sells fights, that people want to watch us fight because of who we are, our character, what we do to entice other fighters, to get in their face, to make it exciting. But for us, it's to just get us ready. Um, so when you do those kind of things, obviously there's a lot of bad things that go with it because sometimes things don't go the way you want to and they get out of control. And it's important because in combat sports and in MMA, the idea, right, and in fact, the promotion is based on those characters, right? The whole point is to make you guys mean and angry and look a certain way and act a certain way. So it's tough to cut that off when now you're out with your kids in the park. It is. And I think that there's a fine line, very fine line um, that promotions and, and agents and different people who are managing these fighters have to draw a line in the sand and let them know, listen, you can't, this is, you can't do that. Like you can't, that's just out of bounds. And so, but again, like I said, because of social media and because how much, how much attention um, everyone gets by doing these things, it almost seems like there's there's no line in the sand at all because no matter whether they hate you or love you, as long as you're getting views and as long as people are listening, then there is no line in the sand. You can keep doing whatever you want because popularity is going to keep growing. And you're now in this weird spot because you're a former fighter who's obviously popular and now you're a promoter and a businessman. How's that transition going for you? Oh, it's difficult, um, but fun, challenging, um, you know, especially as I've been moving forward with Valor, uh, BK. Um, there was, I remember when I first started this thing, I had this vision, you know, the vision is still there, but there's this business plan that goes behind it. And I thought it would be pretty simple. You know, you go in there and we, you know, put the dots together, we get the numbers we need, we put on the show and we just roll with it. But there is just so much more that goes into it with apps. You know, I mean, you got Instagram, Twitter, all these things. You have to hit these certain numbers. You got to have demographics. It is just, there's just a load of stuff that comes into this. Um, and then you have to break it down with business and different things that go along with business ownership, this, that, another. So there was just, it was really a lot to it. And I failed miserably uh, trying to come into this and run it myself. Um, fortunately, um, I brought people in, uh, uh, a partner, uh, Maddie uh, Miranda, who is one of my business partners. And then, of course, I got people who are actually working on social media stuff, uh, Steve and Andy, who are doing a great job on that. And then we have our own kind of a production company uh, with Nick. Um, so we've got a lot of guys. I got an agent uh, with Ted, which you bet, um, who has right. been really, really good. We got a couple of Alex's um, working on social media stuff. So just the stuff I'm telling you is just the tip of the iceberg. Like there's so much more that goes on with this. We've got investors. We've got all these other things. So it was really a big step for me. But fortunately, the team that I have around me, I've got a lot of supporting characters, a lot of guys that are really working on this and putting this together. Like I said, the vision was mine, but I'm telling you the business part of this, man, uh, all these guys that I mentioned uh, with, with, with the social media stuff and, and, and moving forward, I couldn't do it without them. So I'm very, very, very fortunate to be where I'm at right now, uh, especially with the, 
all the screw ups that went on prior to this, you know, trying to do the right thing and then finding out you open the door and it's the wrong thing. So, right. um, but it's been an experience and, and it's one that I've learned from. I think we're in a great place right now. Um, you know, we was talking about Valor. We've got a launch party January 7th, um, which if people are interested in, in checking that out, it's on our Valor app. Um, if you want to go check it out, also too, you can go to our Instagram, uh, Valor, it's Valor on the Instagram. And if you want to come check out me, Ken Shamrock, uh, it's Ken Shamrock official on Instagram, but so there's a lot, of course I got a lot more, but I don't want to get into that, but yeah. So when you talk about the business and then transitioning from a fighter to the business, there's just a lot of stuff, man. And I've been not overwhelmed, but it's been a challenge. You know, what's funny fighters seem to have the hardest job in the world. And then right. many fighters say that's easy compared to the other stuff, compared to dealing with money and dealing with business and dealing with promoters and, and you know, lawyers and accountants and all that other stuff. Is that your experience as well? Yeah, you almost get spun upside down. It's almost like you feel like you get to a point where you just throw your hands up and go, put me in a cage. <laughs> Let me fight. <laughs> what are some of the qualities that transition from one to the other that you found useful? Oh, I think it's determination um, and and not want you, you, you're not going to lose. You'll figure it out. And I think that having that, um, if you can take that same energy, that same level of commitment and then put it into trying to learn that aspect of the business, you won't fail. But but you get to a point where you like I did, where you get spun upside down. It's so easy to just give up and just say, screw it, man, I'm going to go do something else. Um, and I didn't do that. That's not what I'm about. Um, I've stayed with it. Um, you know, I've even butted heads with my team members um, and then had to turn around and tell them I'm sorry because I was wrong and they were right. Um, but that stuff, just learning, right? And, and figuring it out and being man enough to know when you've overstepped. And then when you do that, figure out what you did wrong and then learn from that. Don't just throw it up and, and, and say, okay, well, I screwed up and then move on. No, you have to learn from that. You literally got to figure out what you did wrong. And when you did, do not let it happen again by being ignorant and just throwing it under the rug and not paying attention to it. Learn from it. Understand what you did wrong. And then make sure when you move forward that you can make sure that doesn't happen again. Folks who are a lot smarter than me call that self-awareness. Have you had that your whole career? Or is it just now as you're getting perhaps older, wiser? No, I think I've always had that 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 thing where I've known when I've messed up and you know the only thing the only way I know that my father Bob Shamrock who adopted me taught me this uh, is that that's how you that's how you become a better person is by your mistakes and owning up to them and then making sure that because if you own up to them then you're allowed to figure out what you did wrong from them. If you don't know from them, you're hiding from them. You're hiding them away. So you can't pull them out and figure out, okay, I screwed up. I messed this up. How do I figure out this so as I don't do it again? So you have to be able to own that and be able to accept it in order for you to figure out how to fix it. And now you're in this whole new industry of motivational speaking, right? I've seen some of your videos. I've seen your TED Talk. Um, why did you jump into that? Why is that such a compelling endeavor for you? Well, I think it's being able to share my story. Um, I've been told over and over again. And because I know for me, the stories that I heard when I was a kid, my, my father himself, uh, who adopted me, and then uh, some of the other people that have grown up uh, around me, right. and I've heard their stories. 
things that happened to them, it, it motivated me. It helped me understand that it's, it, it's not just, it's not just me. Like there's a lot of other people going through certain things also. And these, these, these characters, these strong characters that were able to overcome some of these things were just incredible. And so I understood that as a young kid, being able to use their motivation and what they were doing, going through some of the struggles they went through. And then when I started having my own struggles, like breaking my neck, I mean, I, I did everything right. I got to a point where I had a family, you know, I had scholars. I mean, I had great, good, great. Everything was perfect. And then it was ripped away by nothing I did wrong. And so it's just learning those stories and the perseverance of being able to get through those things. And people go, well, well, what is the common denominator for everyone that has some sort of struggle and they're going through it? What is that common denominator? And I always say is just faith, strength and knowing that you will overcome it because nobody else can do it but you. If you have that common denominator from everyone, they will find that door that's open. They will find that opportunity that's going to allow them to come back from that adversity. But if you don't, fight and if you don't try to keep moving forward and you just fall back and you allow people to pat you on the back and say oh it's okay man i understand why this happened you know there's you know because it's a great excuse to say well i broke my neck so i can't do this anymore right. and then but but the, but but it doesn't do you any good because you don't know that you have to understand that for yourself and the only way you know that is by getting up moving forward and making sure that you understand what your limitations are not what somebody else is telling you. And I think that's the common denominator between everyone that runs into adversity and then ends up successful is because this determination and commitment to find out for yourself what your limitations are. Now, I want to briefly talk about MMA. You've been in it since the beginning. You're a pioneer, Hall of Fame, the whole thing. I don't have enough time here to list all of your credentials. What's the difference, the big difference that you see now uh, between the industry, between the promotions, the business? Oh, I would probably say we talked about being able to vent your anger and frustration, you know, because I'm not fighting. Now, obviously, I'm older, I'm mature, so there's a better understanding. Right. But I don't have that outlet um, to be able to go, you know, fight. And, you know, I make the call. I walk in there. I am successful. I would because the only one that can stop me from being successful is me. Well, in business, it's not that. If you make a mistake or somebody on your team makes a mistake, it can stop you from getting where you need to go. And it may not all rely on you, but as a team, you're responsible for it. No matter what happens, if you're running the show, you're responsible. So if somebody underneath you does something and it gets screwed up, you can't go to them and go, oh, hey, man, you <laughs> it's you. And then you have to figure out how to fix that and move forward. And so that's the, the biggest thing. Uh, from doing what I did before was that the only time I ever failed is if it, if, if I failed and, and I knew it was. Now, when you're in business, there's a whole nother world here that you have to try to control and move forward. And a lot of times, man, when you're doing that, man, it is very, very difficult to make sure that everyone is working and moving in the same direction. Um, so it wasn't, like I said, for me, stepping into that cage and fighting. And I knew what the results were going to be, right? I mean, I went in there. I knew what was going to happen. I mean, that was all on me. This is a whole different ballgame now. It's, a, it's, it's just a lot more moving pieces. You have to be a lot more patient. You have to be a lot more observant. And you also have to be a person that's being able to motivate people to be able to get things done. 
if you were to sit here and list the qualities, right, the lessons that you've learned over the course of all these years, what would they be? Oh, I would say, first of all, patience, communication. Communication was a big one because I didn't know how to communicate. My communication was violence. Um, being learning how to be able to speak and talk to somebody um, and working those things out. And the next thing is I think that you have to trust. The trust is a hard thing because, you know, it seems like in the world we live today, there's very, very little of that. But you have to trust first. And then if things don't work out, then you adjust from there. But if you always go into things just trusting people, it's never, it's never going to work. So obviously you expose yourself, you're vulnerable. But if you don't do that, then you're never going to be successful. You're never going to get to a position where you're going to have good, strong team around you because you're always doubting someone. So I think it really is just about patience and trust, perseverance. Um, and one thing that I lived my whole life on is never giving up, always finding a solution. Ken, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Hey, I appreciate you, man. Also, January 7th, uh, don't forget about Watch Party. Uh, check out our Valor app, man.